I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. This week on the Chicago Bears Review. Two down, two to go. With the conclusion to the Tennessee and Jacksonville chapters, we move into the top half of the South as we dive into former division powerhouse, the Indianapolis Colts. Can the Colts reclaim the division, or will they fail to get their crown back? Josh Wilson from Stampede Blue joins us for another AFC South preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. Preview train continues to roll along as we make stop number five out of 14. Bringing in this time, talking about the perennial powerhouse of the AFC South in the Indianapolis Colts. What's going on, everybody? Larry D. back for part three of the AFC South preview. And uh, we'll be talking with our new friend Josh Wilson from StampedeBlue.com and SB Nation uh, talking about the Colts. And as I'm sure I've shared with you guys many times, uh, the Colts are my AFC team uh, for years, uh, mostly because of my uh, friendship with my, my buddy Ryan Simmons, who we've had on the show a few times. It been, has been a while since we've had him on, but nonetheless, um, you know, when we were in college together at Western Illinois University, obviously I'm the Bear fan, but during that time, end of the end of the end of the nineties into the you know, the early two thousands, cyber two thousand one, of course, but every year the uh the Bears were out of the playoffs early. Thank you, Dick Duran. And, you know, but the Colts were always in it. So whenever I would hang out with Simmons, watch the playoffs. You know, the Colts were always in it, going deep, and, and, and Peyton Manning and the offense doing great things and so on. And from there, I just kind of, you know, it's obviously I'm rooting for the Bears. They're my number one, but I'm always kind of checking on the Colts and see how they were how they were doing. So, um, you know, as you can imagine, Super Bowl Forty One, a rather bittersweet day uh, for me. Um, but, uh, you know, happy that Peyton Manning won. But really pissed he had to do it against the Bears. I mean, that one really sucked. But uh, what are you going to do? But we do talk about that a bit uh, with uh, with Josh and uh, cover many, many things. Because um, as I, uh, I, um, I, I recorded the interview a few moments ago, just got done with him about a half an hour ago uh, or so. 
Uh, I did mention with him at the beginning, you know, I, I, I come to this kind of as a fan, not only just the guy, you know, as, as an opponent, and I'm trying to get more information on you guys, but as a fan, as, this is a team that I follow. Uh, you know, forgive me if I'm a little more critical than I am with, you know, than I would be normally, you know, more critical than I would be, you know, say talking to Colton about the Jags or, uh, you know, Dan Cotton about the Titans and so on, because, you know, I actually care about the the Colts and how well they do or how well they don't and, and, and so on. So, you know, bad year for the for the Colts. And, you know, we talk quite a bit about uh, Pagano and Grigson and, and them sticking around and his thoughts there and, uh, you know, the the inactivity that we talked about uh, with Colton and, and Dan about how, you know, Jacksonville, Tennessee, Houston, all very aggressive in, in improving the team. The Colts not so much, but we cover that and many other things in a great discussion that we had uh, with him. So, um, you know, that, that we'll look forward to that here in just a few moments. A few news and notes that we do have for the Bears uh, this time. Um, the big thing is, uh, you know, uh, a tragedy uh, suffered uh, for, you know, the, the Bear alumni, if you will. Brian Robinson, uh, former defensive and defensive lineman uh, for the Bears from about 98 to about 2003, 2004. Um, he passed away Um I believe it was yesterday, either late yesterday. Actually, it was Saturday over the weekend. He was found uh, found dead in in a hotel room in Milwaukee. Now, no no details on on anything like that. It wasn't, uh, or at least not yet, anyway. Was not like an apparent suicide because no one really knows what he was doing in the hotel uh, in Milwaukee. Um, you know, so it's going to take autopsy reports to find out. Maybe he just had a heart attack or you know, uh, anything like that. So no real details on the circumstances surrounding uh, his death yet, but nonetheless, the, you know, the bullet point there being that he, he has passed away. He was only 41 uh, years old. The Bears released a statement uh, talking about it, and I quote, uh, we're saddened to hear of the loss of Brian Robinson. He will be remembered for the determination and work ethic he displayed on the field for his over his six years in Chicago. The Bears and our fans will always be indebted to him for his game-saving blocked field goal in the Green Bay in Green Bay six days after Walter Payton's passing. Our prayers are with Brian and his family. So I mean that's that is kind of his claim to fame is that he's the guy that saved the win in Lambeau against Green Bay in, in what is affectionately referred to as the Walter Payton game. The Bears won that game 14. The 13, it was a chip shot, 28-yard field goal, and Robinson blocked it, uh, preserving the win for the Bears. And in, in, in 99, not a very good season for the Bears. I think we were 5-11, and 11, something like that, that year. A very bad year for the Bears, but that was the one thing we kind of hang our hats on uh, in 99 was that win in Lambeau. We won that one for sweetness, and Brian Robinson always quoted as saying that he felt that Brian that that the sweetness helped him there because I can't jump that high was was what I was reading uh, earlier today when I was looking into it that he he felt that that sweetness helped him out with blocking that field goal and preserving uh, the win uh, in Green Bay so you know as it as it said in the uh, in the press release that the Bears issued uh, prayers when you know thoughts and prayers with Brian and his family and uh, you know we certainly want to reiterate that uh, as well. On the more positive side of things, guess who showed up for work today? 
the Bears uh, kicking off their mandatory mini camp this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. The Bears will be uh, at uh, in in Lake Forest at at Hallis Hall, holding their 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 annual mini camps. Alshon Jeffrey, as promised, showed up despite contract negotiations and such uh, kind of being stalled out and, and, and whatnot. He did report, so he will be practicing with the team uh, this week during their, their three-day uh, minicamp, so everyone can relax now. You know, he wasn't there for the OTAs. Those were voluntary, and granted, 99% of the team was there, but... Alshon was not. He's training in Florida, preparing for the season and whatnot. When he was supposed to be there, when it was mandatory that he did attend, he's there. He assigned his tender. He's with the Bears for 2016, working on a long-term deal. We'll see how that happens uh, and, and what happens with that. But he said he would be there when it was mandatory to be there. He is a man of his word. He has shown up so everyone can just calm down now. Alshon is in camp at uh, at the... There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, it's not OTAs. It's minicamp. So as the, the team basically assembles together, really for the first time, Alshon is there as promised. So some interesting uh, contracts have come out in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Keenan Allen, uh, who was drafted, I think, just a year after Alshon signed a new extension with the Chargers, averaging about $11, $12 million, uh, a year. Uh, there was another young receiver around the same time that just signed a contract extension with his team as well kind of in that range and saying that that maybe it could serve as a blueprint for how the Bears want to approach their negotiations with Alshon as far as the per year uh, in the contract that they're going to uh, put out there uh, it was Robinson from the or Alan Hearns I'm sorry for the uh, for the Jaguars that was the other one about 10 to 11 million a year in his extension I think they were they I think they all entered the league around the same time I think Allen came in in 2013 obviously Alshon was drafted in by the Bears in 2012 so you know see if that kind of helps move things along with the with the Bears and Alshon as far as getting that long-term deal uh, put together so uh, and then finally, the other interesting thing that I that I read today was a um, an article about Jermaine Gresham, a tight end uh, drafted years ago by the um, 
Cincinnati Bengals, spent last season with the Arizona Cardinals. The Bears brought him in for a visit. They were they were talking to him about a deal, offered him a four-year deal worth $23 million, $12 million guaranteed, and he turned it down to take a one-year deal for $3.5 million in Arizona. And when asked why he turned it down, he simply basically said, because I wanted to win. So screw that guy in, in not having any faith in that the Bears have a chance at being a winning team uh, this year. And, uh, you know, turned it down. So, uh, you know, I'm hoping that the Bears run into the Cardinals at some point so we can stick it to Jermaine Gresham. And, uh, you know, he can regret uh, not joining uh, an up-and-coming franchise. Bastard. So, anyway, I just thought... It's, you know, it's very rare that, that uh, you know, you see the guys, you know, I, I know he probably didn't mean anything by it as far. I think it was more of an, an ode to Arizona than it was a slight at the uh, at the Bears. You know, like I, I, you know, I took less money to to stay in Arizona, you know, because, uh, you know, we want a better chance to win and and so on. I mean, it, it, for the most part, it's true. But at the same time, you know, it does kind of feel like a jab at the Bears when, you know, you turn down the big money to to play somewhere else, kind of thing. So, anywho, I just thought I'd throw that out there. So, anyway, condolences to Brian Robinson and his family, and uh, you know, all the best in uh, in the next life, my friend. So, anyway, let's go ahead and move on, and we'll talk. Uh, move on to part three of our AFC South preview, talking to Josh Wilson from StampedeBlue.com about the 2016 Indianapolis Colts. So here we move on, and we now have uh, representing our representing the AFC South uh, former division champions, the Indianapolis Colts, Josh Wilson from Stampede Blue on SB Nation. Josh, uh, thanks for uh, being here on the show. Oh, absolutely! It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So, um, as we do with all of our you know new guests that we have on the show, since we haven't had you on before, uh, just want to know. Uh, how long have you been a Colts fan? And and one thing I always ask the guys that I talk to from SB Nation, where are you living? Because it seems like last year at least, I spoke to, like, whoever I spoke to was not in the market of the team they were actually covering. So I just wanted to know if, if you were the exception to that rule or, you know, are you also outside of the indie market rooting for the Colts? Well, I've been, uh, you know, I grew up Colts fan. So I've okay. been around the team, rooting for the team for as long as I can remember. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's just kind of second nature to me. And I'm not directly in Indianapolis, but I am probably closer than most of the other writers because uh, I'm just uh, a couple hours away from Indy. So I still live in Indiana um, okay. and, and all that. So uh, definitely within driving distance, and I'm down there for training camp and uh, some other events too. So I'm definitely around the team some uh, and, and closer than uh, some other people. So I'm, I'm within within driving distance for sure. You're at least in the Indianapolis market. Yes. Great, great. Now, my dad is actually moving from the Chicagoland area to Hobart, Indiana. Is that anywhere near you? I don't uh, recognize Hobart, but... Okay. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, I'd never heard of it either. But that's uh, <laughs> my stepmother got a got a job right there on like right on the eastern border of mm-hmm. Illinois. My dad's been okay. dying to get out of Illinois for years, so they're moving just across the border in uh, Indiana. So Hobart is the uh, is the name of the town they're going to be moving to. So just thought I'd throw that out there. Now, yeah. this is a uh, this is a show that I've been looking forward to because I remember, and I I think I, I told you in in our emails uh, leading up to the the show that the the Colts are my AFC team. Now, I go back to the Colts way back to the early Peyton days um, when I went away to college. My best friend at school, his name is Ryan Simmons. Um, he has a, been a Colts fan pretty much his, well, most of his life anyway. And unfortunately for me, as a Bears fan, uh, when the regular season ended, so did the Bears season as well. But it always managed to be that the Colts were always in the playoffs, so I would always hang out with Simmons and watch the Colts games to see this amazing quarterback named Peyton Manning doing his thing with all those great things they used to do on the offense and and so on. So, you know, I've been looking forward to this show because I'm also not only am I, am I you know, an opponent, but I'm a fan of the team. I've been to Lucas Oil a few times uh, to see the Colts play uh, and such. So, um you know, I'm coming at this as a fan of the team as well. So forgive me if I'm a little bit more critical than I would be if, you know, I wasn't uh, or, you know, in in the past and, and, and such. So I just kind of wanted to throw that out there for you. Okay, I, I do kind of bleed a little bit of, of you know, the, the, the blue and white with the, with the Colts uh, as well. So that being said, 2015 was supposed to be a Super Bowl year for the Colts because a lot of people including myself thought that they were going to be the team uh in uh in Santa Clara playing for the Super Bowl last year but what was Super Bowl aspirations turned out to be an eight and eight season and uh just give me your thoughts on on how that you know all unfolded last season yeah it was definitely a massively disappointing year for the Colts um just all around like you said starts with Super Bowl expectations ends with eight and eight season missing the playoffs um, and just a whole lot of uncertainty. So I think it can really be pinpointed uh, to really one main area, and that's Andrew Luck. I think we all thought he was going to take that next step, continue to progress. I mean, I think it's easy to forget, just in 2014, he broke Peyton Manning's Colts franchise record for single-season passing yards and led the NFL on touchdown passes. So I think it was reasonable to expect that he would take that next step into possibly MVP consideration and if that had happened, I think the Colts could have been a playoff team and definitely could have uh, maybe won a couple playoff games like they have in past years. And so I think it all starts with luck because what we saw from Andrew Luck last year was completely different than what we'd seen the previous few years in that he didn't look confident in his arm. He looked like he was playing injured at times when we found out that he was dealing with a lot of injuries. And then he just made some real stupid decisions. And, you know, we've seen those at times from Luck, but they just happened much more often last year. And the turnover issue really um, became front and center. He turned the ball over 13 times in seven games and then obviously missed nine games due to injury. And so um, I think really it all comes down to Andrew Luck. I think the expectations for the Super Bowl were there because of the expectations that Luck would take that next step and continue to improve. And so the fact that he didn't, and the fact that he had his worst year as a pro, missed time due to injury, and when he was playing, didn't look that great. I think that is, is enough to explain away an 8-8 eight and eight season. But then on top of that, you just have a roster that 
uh, top to bottom didn't play out the way most thought it would. And the veteran additions didn't contribute. Um, the talent overall wasn't great. And then when you subtract Luck, who had really carried that team, uh, it just went to a mess. And then on top of that, of course, was the drama with Chuck Pagano and Ryan Grigson in the front office. And all of that adds together for a very disappointing season. Um, but again, I think it comes down to Luck at the heart of it. Now talk to me real quick about Pagano and Grigson because all throughout the year, um, you know, whoever I talk to, you know, whether they be just general football fans or the few Colts fans that I do, you know, converse with from time to time, we all thought, and myself, at the very least Pagano was gone or, you know, Grigson is gone too. And not only are they back, but they are extended through the end of the decade. What were your thoughts on not only did they get brought back, but they were given extensions, which is somewhat of a vote of confidence on top of it all. Is this, is Ursay off his rocker, or you know, is, is there something bigger at, at, at foot here? Well, it was a stunner. I mean, I had I had the article all written of Colt Fire Chuck Pagano and was sitting at my computer the day after the season ended, ready to publish, and all of a sudden, end of the day, Colts come out and say, actually, we gave him an extension. I mean, it was a stunner to everyone. Um, and even coming into the year, there's a lot of talk about the, the tension that was there between them. And it seemed, you know, the only way we can say for sure if Pagano loses his job is the Colts miss the playoffs. It, it seemed like a possibility that wouldn't even happen or was out, too outrageous to even suggest, but then it happened. And instead of firing Pagano, and, and really the question wasn't even are the Colts going to fire Pagano, was are they going to get rid of Grigson too? And so then they come back and extend them both. And I think that was a stunner. Um, I think the extension for Chuck Pagano, uh, is absolutely a vote of confidence, the fact that it was a four-year extension. Um, but at the same time, his contract was up, so if Jim Ursay wanted to keep him, he was going to have to give him the extension. And so I think that's part of it. Uh, and then the fact that he extended Grigson as well to run um, in accordance with Pagano's. So now Grigson has four more years left on his deal, too. I think that is really suggesting that Grigson and Pagano are tied together now, and if they can't find a way to work it out, uh, because there there have been issues between the two of them. There have been issues um, with the way the team's been built or with um, times they disagree. And so I think that's also a message to both of them that says, look, you know, Jim Mercer is like, I'm giving you a vote of confidence right here. They have more job security at this point than I really think they've had since their first year, since they were first hired. But it's also a statement that if you can't work it out, you're both tied together right now. Your contracts run together. It's up to you. And if you guys can't figure it out, you're probably both going to be gone. Right, because these, these aren't, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, these aren't your daddy's Colts anymore because when it used to be this was a team loaded with, you know, Pro Bowl players or household names, you know, uh, you know Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harrison, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, Dallas Clark, Peyton Manning, obviously, on the defense side of the ball, you know, Bob Sanders and Dwight Freeney, Robert Mathis, and so on. Now, Mathis is the only guy that's still around, but for the most part, when it comes to the Colts, the conversation begins and ends with Andrew Luck. It's really like the only name you have to hang your hat on um, these days. So it's a much different team than it used to be uh, back in the quote-unquote glory days of, of, of Manning and, you know, Bill Polian leading that team and, and so on. Yeah, definitely it is. And like you said, the talent overall on this team, this year's team, is a far cry from those Peyton Manning era. And and so you have the quarterback in place, and obviously what Peyton Manning did, it's going to be hard to replicate that for Andrew Luck, no matter how good he is. Um, but outside of that, you really don't have as much 
uh, blue-chip players. I mean, you could uh, talk about T.Y. Hill, and he's made a couple Pro Bowls. Talk about Vontae Davis, the same with a couple Pro Bowls as well. Robert Mathis is obviously a name uh, that people know. He's getting older, but, you know, so you have some of those guys, but they're not all over the roster. And, and for the most part, you have a few guys that are like, okay, you can kind of, like you said, hang your hat on them and say, these guys will be around for a while. And then most of the others are either developmental guys or guys you're, you have hopes for or just stopgap players as you wait to address that need and address others instead. So it's not that overall talent level that I think we saw, um, especially on the offensive side of the ball during the Peyton Manning days. Right. Now, before we talked, I was online and I was looking at the transactions for the Colts You know, through the 2016 calendar year and a lot more subtractions than additions uh, as far as the personnel on the team it was concerned but what I was really surprised by was like okay they brought back Pagano but did they fire everyone else because I saw more transactions as far as names with coaches and positions and so on and so forth with that than than any other you know we signed this free agent or you know anything like that how many coaches actually survived the 2015 season there were very few that uh, of the coaching staff that's back other than Chuck Pagano. Um, there, are, there are a couple of assistants, but for the most part, the entire staff is different. Uh, they've got a new defensive coordinator. Their offensive coordinator was Rob Chodzinski, and he was promoted to the interim coordinator last year. So they took the interim tag off of him. So even then, he's one of the few that's actually returning and has experience with the Colts because most of the staff was um, – fired and, and brought in anew and so um you know it, it's speculation on my part in terms of why that was but i wonder if part of it is that jim ursay realizes um and, and chuck pagano and ryan gregson realize too that they need better coaching they need to better play from their um from their players and the guys they bring in but chuck pagano's biggest strength is um leadership and he's really good at connecting with players and, and leading a team and so my my guess would be that they're bringing in guys that they trust more with X's and O's to fill out the assistant roles while letting Pagano kind of be the leader of the staff and the leader of the team, uh, which which makes sense to a certain degree. Uh, but but certainly the uh, the coaching staff looks almost entirely new outside of the head coach this year. Right, because you you now have uh, including Pagano, you got three head coaches on the staff that I'm that I'm counting. You know, because Joe Philman's the new offensive line coach and as I see here assistant head coach and you also Chudzinski even though he just had a cup of coffee with the Browns was a head coach himself uh, as well and speaking of Chudzinski it was kind of a from what I you know from my side and you know from my my buddy Simmons that you know is the Colts fan a a welcome move that Pep Hamilton was let go mid-season as the offensive coordinator yeah I think it was a change that probably needed to happen and that's nothing against Pat Hamilton, and, and I think he's a very smart uh, um, rising coach, and I think um, he, he, he will still have success in the NFL, but it just wasn't working with the Colts. And especially last year, you saw he wasn't adjusting well to some of the changes that were going on, um, and just a whole lot of things that just you, you just saw it needed to change. And I think with a guy like Rob Chazinski, who was the assistant head coach, with him sitting right there, um, there was always going to be that pressure to promote him to the offensive coordinator, especially when things weren't going well for Pep Hamilton. And so I think when you see Pep wasn't really um, adjusting well to some of the changes, he wasn't, um, his play calling wasn't great. 
he was uh, very conservative and stuff like that. So I think uh, overall the change just needed to happen. There's nothing against Pep Hamilton, and I think he did a fine job in 2014. But sometimes those changes just need um, to take place in order to provide a spark. Um, and I think that's what the Colts did, especially since uh, Pagano was fighting for his job, and he knew he needed to do something. And so he uh, promoted his friend, Rod Sadzinski, to offensive coordinator. And we saw some success there, um, especially his first game with Andrew Luck healthy, they beat the Broncos, and, and it was Luck's best performance of the year. Um, so there is some hope there that Chesinski is the right guy, um, and, and I, I do think it was probably the right move to move on from Hamilton. Even if the timing was kind of questionable, uh, he was fired on a short week. They played a Monday night game. He was fired on Tuesday. They played the Broncos on Sunday and had a bye week the following week. Um, so it was kind of surprising timing, but the move overall, I think, was one that uh, probably needed to happen. Do you think maybe that's what kind of saved Pagano in the end was that he was willing to modify his his coaching staff to to kind of you know fit with the with the team better because speaking from personal experience with Mark Tressman and the disaster that he was, I thought the nail in his coffin was when he didn't uh, fire um, in his name Aaron Cromer, the offensive coordinator who went behind the team's back and was was bashing Jay Cutler uh, to the press. When it was found out that it was Cromer that was doing the talking, they didn't fire him, and and Tressman didn't let him go. It, do you think maybe that's what kind of saved Fagano in the end was that he was you know seemed like he was willing to work with the organization as far as what they were looking for from his coaching staff? It very well could have been because um, when Jim Mercer brought him back, one of the things he even said to the media was Fagano needs to to do a better job of making some of the tough decisions, and he was mainly talking about uh, player personnel, I think, but. I think it could be extended to coaching staff as well. And Pagano is, you know, a great guy. He's very likable, and the players love him. Um, so, or say, one of the things he knows Pagano needs to work on is making those tough decisions, especially with players or uh, even coaches that he might know well. And so, I think that it could have could have factored in where if Pagano was able, willing to fire um, Pat Hamilton, it could, it could have sent that message. I'm not sure if that really saved his job per se. But I, I do think it could have played a part if that's really some of the criteria that Jim Mercer was looking for is those tough decisions, which it sounds like it might have been. So we move on to the to the off season, past all of the the coaching shuffling and and whatnot. Now going into into this off season after the 2015, we, we talked very briefly before we started the the interview about how the whole division itself, you know, the, the season did not very, go very well. It was you know. I mean, the Colts were only were eight and eight. The Texans barely win the division at at nine and seven, and they are blown out of the water the week after in, in the in the wild card round with Kansas City. So it looked like all four teams going into the off season had big moves to make. Now you look at what Texans did: big moves with signing Brock Osweiler. They were active in free agency, you know, and and they you know seem to improve very well in, in the draft. The, the the Jaguars and the Titans making all of their moves. Uh, in the draft and in free agency, especially the Jaguars, the Colts were were kind of inactive. Did were did does it did they feel like maybe that health was the biggest reason that they didn't succeed in 2015? Because they kind of seemed to be, you know, going with the you know going with the girl that they brought to the dance kind of thing, as opposed to being active in free agency to kind of fill up the holes where things went wrong last year. I think there's really two aspects of it that why the Colts were a little less active in free agency this year. One is because they realize that it all revolves around Andrew Luck for them. And so the fact that they're getting Andrew Luck back um, 
in, in, a, in a certain way, is the biggest addition any AFC South team had this offseason. Getting a healthy Andrew Luck back. Now, it's not a new addition, but they realize that if they get Luck back healthy, um, and all indications are they will, they're going to be competitive. They're going to be right there. And so I think they realize that, and they also realize that at some point in this offseason, they're going to give them a massive extension. And so they have to have the funds there, the, the money to be able to do so. So I think that was one aspect of it. And the other aspect was a, a change in philosophy for Ryan Grigson. You see, last year, he goes out and signs a bunch of veteran players loading up for a Super Bowl run. It was really Super Bowl or bust for the Colts last year. And everything fell apart. This year, they're shifting that philosophy in terms of a more long-term approach. They're building for depth. They're trying to develop players. They're trying to get younger guys, coach them up, and have them turn into playmakers. That's their whole idea this offseason. So they were much more meticulous about their moves, especially about getting younger. And so I think you see, one, that they know getting less back is going to be bigger than any move they could make. And two, they realize that they need to have a more... Um, stable foundation, and that, that means building up young players, developing them. And it probably means taking a more long-term approach where you can't address every need this offseason, but you can start laying that foundation down. So I think it was a change in philosophy as much as anything else that really resulted in the Colts having a quieter offseason than we've come to expect. Yeah, and, and I guess it would also kind of be like a return to philosophy because the Colts have never been, at least in my time and following the team, never really been a big free agency type team. They are very much a build from within. I mean, Reggie Wayne, Dallas Clark, Marvin Harrison, Peyton Manning, Joseph Adai, you know, all those guys were draft picks. Those were guys that were, you know, that were brought in and developed in the long term. So I guess in, in, in more of it's a return to philosophy more so than, than change of philosophy, right? Oh, absolutely it is. And, the, you know, Bill Polian, that was how he built the team was through the draft. And so uh, it is absolutely a return to that philosophy there. Uh, but it's new for Ryan Grigson. And I think part of that right. is because he had so much money to spend and so many holes to fill when he first arrived. And then immediate success means that you expect more immediate success. And so it was that cycle there of he kind of had to spend free agent money. But so, yeah, it's definitely a return to the philosophy of the Bill Polian days. And I think that's probably a good thing. Now, going back to Luck, as as well as he's played pretty much since the beginning uh, when he came in, you know, making the playoffs every year of his career except this last uh, season, even before then, regardless of how well he was playing, offensive line always kind of appeared to be uh, an issue. He just managed to keep himself out of trouble uh, in order to do it. But considering the O-line has been a problem or at least a – you know, a nuisance, you know, for the team, did it really take luck, suffering, you know, possible, you know, like life, life ending injuries with, you know, lacerated kidney and, and so on and so forth to, for the, for, for Grigson to snap out of it and really address the offensive line or, you know, what do you think the problem was there? Well, he's tried to address the offensive line the past few years. And the key word is tried um, because he's tried and failed to do it. Um, He's brought in players that just didn't work out. And so I think, really, Luck's injury, even though the last right kidney wasn't really a result of the offensive line uh, right. as much as it was just a football play, I think that sent a wake-up call to the entire organization, from Jim Merce to Ryan Grigson to Chuck Pagano to all of those guys, that we need to protect Andrew Luck. And whether that was the offensive line's fault or not, they realized he's been the most hit quarterback in the NFL since he arrived 
uh, in 2012, they realized that he gets hit all the time. And even you look at the Broncos game before he got injured, he was getting hit over and over. And obviously the Broncos defense was outstanding last year. But yeah. I think the injury to Luck, and then multiple injuries. He had a shoulder injury earlier in the year that caused him to miss a couple of games. And he had a rib injury. You know, the multiple injuries, I think they realized that this guy is not as indestructible as we thought. I mean, he withstood so many hits in the first three years um, that it, it kind of felt that way at times. Because you go from Peyton Manning, who never missed a game until 2011, to Andrew Luck, who, despite all the hits, just kept on getting back up and playing well. I think you kind of got the sense that this guy is as tough as they come. He's indestructible. And so I think last year was a wake-up call to the whole organization that he can get injured, and we have to protect him or else our season's going to derail just like it did last year. Right. So you address the offensive line. Uh, in the, what, eight draft picks that the Colts had, you draft four mm-hmm. offensive linemen. Uh, top of the bill is, is Ryan Kelly, the center out of Alabama. Are, are they hoping that he's going to be Andrew Luck's uh, Jeff Saturday? Yeah, that's the, that's the hope, and they've, they've even mentioned that comparison. I mean, it, it's pretty obvious uh, considering the franchise, and they've mentioned it as well. And, um, and You know, it's kind of rare for a center to be drafted in the first round, but when they are, and it normally worked out, and I think Ryan Kelly is one of those guys who uh, was definitely worth the pick for the Colts because the center spot's been the worst um, position along the offensive line for really ever since Jeff Saturday uh, left the team uh, following 2011. Right. And so I think you get Ryan Kelly, you get a guy who should be a very reliable starter for you for a decade with Andrew Luck, um, and that's really all you could ask for with that pick. So I think that the expectations are super high for him, uh, and I think like you said, the Jeff Saturday, uh, Peyton Manning comparison is what they're hoping for with Andrew Luck and uh, Ryan Kelly. Right now, as far as you know, the offensive line is concerned. Aside from Anthony Costanzo, it, it pretty much appears to me that it's kind of an open open season on the offensive line. So, how in the mix are the other offensive linemen draft picks? Uh, as far as you know, possibly playing. You had one in the third round, LaRaven Clark and. Uh, Joe Haig, the, the offensive tackle for North Dakota State that was protecting Carson Wentz for a few years. Are, are these guys at all a threat to be playing this year, or are they just uh, quality depth and, and developing young talent? I don't expect either uh, LaRaven Clark or Joe Haig to be seriously competing for a starting spot. I think you've got two spots really open on the offensive line. You've got uh, the left side of the line taken care of. Anthony Costanza is at left tackle. Jack Muhort's at left guard, and Ryan Kelly's at center. I think those three guys are pretty entrenched there. And so then you have the questions at the right side. And I think Clark and Haig could both uh, compete for those spots, but I think it's going to have to take a lot for them to actually play there because I think both guys are developmental guys. And I think the Colts would love to, especially with Clark, and I think Clark is a little more of a project player. I think they would love to sit them for a year, have them provide depth, and continue to work on them to maybe turn them into a starter a year or two down the road um, because the talent is obvious with both of the guys. Um, but I don't think this year necessarily the idea is for them to start. But, of course, injuries or uh, other guys not playing well or stuff like that can certainly uh, impact the decision. So I wouldn't say never, but I think the plan right now is not for either of those guys to start, but rather to provide depth. So who else among the, the, the draft class are, are you looking forward to you got the the safety tj green in in the second round and then antonio morrison the inside linebacker in the fourth 
Hassan Ridgeway. These all kind of this seemed like a very need heavy draft that that the Colts went after this year with the offensive lineman, and then you got the inside linebacker to possibly replace or to back up. Uh, the hole that that Jarrell Freeman left when he t- left town. You also lost the free a- free safety in in free agency as as well. So this was like a, a need heavy kind of draft. Are these guys looking to contribute right away? Well, I think the only surefire starter is Ryan Kelly uh, in the first round, obviously. Um, and like you said, it was a need heavy draft, and it was a draft going along with that philosophy shift of more long-term approach. So a guy like T.J. Green in the second round, for example, the hope with him is that he can sit for a year, develop behind Mike Adams, who's 35, and then maybe in a year replace Adams. The Colts did the same thing last year. They drafted Clayton Gathers at safety, had him play behind uh, Dwight Lowry, and then Lowry left in free agency this year, and now Gathers is going to start. That's the idea with T.J. Green as well. So the hope would be that he could maybe play situational roles this year, special teams step in and start in a year or two. Um, and I think that's the, the same with a lot of players. Uh, Hassan Ridgeway could see a role as a rotational defensive lineman, especially as a pass rusher. The Colts desperately need pass rush help anywhere they can get it. And so yeah. even even from a defensive lineman, if, if he can get after the quarterback, I think we could see him work his way into a rotational role, even though they have several other defensive linemen uh, who are worth playing as well. Uh, Antonio Morrison, I think, could be very much in the mix at inside linebacker, and I think they could choose to go with a uh, replacement by committee for Jarrell Freeman. Uh, Nate Irving is the favorite right now, and C.O. Moore is also competing there with him. So they do have a couple other options, but I think we could see Morrison get some playing time. Not sure if he'll be the starter or anything, but we could see him work his way in there. And then uh, Trevor Bates, the uh, outside linebacker they took in the seventh round. I mean, seventh round takes, you can't really expect much from them. But considering the need that pass rushers the Colts have, uh, he's a guy that I think is at least worth keeping an eye on as a depth guy because they desperately need an edge rusher. And he's really the only guy they added this year um, in the draft. They added a couple undrafted players, but he's really the only guy there. And so the hope would be that maybe he could stick around as a depth guy and uh, you know work behind Robert Mathis and see if he can turn into something. Um, so I don't really see any of the rookies other than Ryan Kelly stepping in and starting uh, this year unless injuries or things like that. But I think several of them could see uh, a rotational role or um, like the plan is for many of them to step in in a year or two uh, and start. You know, so, so the hope with most of the draft picks is more development than anything else. So the defense struggled mightily last year in the bottom third in just about everything. Points allowed, passing, touch, you know, uh, rushing yards and, and so on uh, last season. You bring in a brand new defensive coordinator. Um, I'm I'm assuming they're sticking with the three four because that's Pagano's you know bread and butter. That's where he made his name and such. What does the new defensive coordinator have up his sleeve? Is is there any kind of change in what he plans to do with the defense this year? Well, from what he said, because the new defensive coordinator Ted Morocchino, he's never coordinated at the NFL level before. Um, so it's basically going off of what he said. But one of the biggest takeaways that we've had from just talking with him this off season is. Uh, he's very much about pressure and he's very much about pressuring the quarterback. And to be honest, I think Greg Minuski, their former defense coordinator was more a fall guy than anything else because he didn't have a ton to work with in terms of talent. Um, but without a doubt, they need better pass rush. They need a better play all over the place from defense. And so I think that's the hope with Ted Molotino is that he can help develop guys, especially linebackers. He was a linebacker coach for the Baltimore Ravens. Um, 
the hope is especially can help develop those linebackers, those pass rushers, to create pressure and to generate pressure. And he's going to have to get creative with that in terms of mixing it up and blitz schemes and things like that. Um, but that's really his big emphasis is he realizes that his whole defense is built on pressure. And if he can get pressure, it helps the cornerbacks out in coverage. It helps the other players out. And so I think uh, we'll have to wait and see really to see um, what he does differently from Greg Minuski, but we can tell for sure that his defense is going to be built on pressure and he's going to do whatever he can to figure out how to generate that, um, whether that means blitz schemes or, or changing things up or whatever. He knows he has to find a way to do that. So let's talk real briefly here about the schedule. Um, the one thing that I found most interesting uh, about the schedule is that um, the week before the Colts play the Bears in Indianapolis, the Colts are going to be in London uh, taking on the Jaguars. And, and for the first time, I think since the whole London thing began, the Colts are going to be the first team not to go on to a bye after the London game. Was that something that they requested, or was that just a luck of the draw kind of thing? It sounds like that's something they actually requested to do. It sounds like I think there was a report from Peter King shortly after the schedule came out, uh, kind of looking at the the behind-the-scenes details, and that the NFL actually gave the teams playing in London the choice. Do you want the bye after that week, or do you want it uh, later? And one thing about Chuck Pagano is he really likes buys later in the year. He likes to have it so that uh, players can rest up and recover from the, the brutal stretch earlier. And so it sounds like it's something the Colts requested to where they want to have the buy later in the year. And they realize playing at 9.30 a.m. Eastern time in London um, will allow them to get home at a reasonable time and, and turn around. So we'll see how it works out. But it was something the Colts requested and wanted to do. Anything else on the schedule kind of uh, jump out at you? I mean, this year you have obviously you have the NFC North, or else we wouldn't be talking right now. And you have the you have the AFC West, correct? Yeah, the AFC West as part of the uh, you know the divisional uh, rotation. You're you're at the Broncos week number two. That's going to be interesting because I'm not sure maybe if the the Broncos are going to have their footing on offense <laughs> quite yet yeah. at that point. Um, you know, back-to-back on the road, well, three out of four there in October. You basically spend all of October on the road at Jacksonville. Well, that's the London game. You're home for the Bears at Houston, at Tennessee, then home for Kansas City to finish out the the month. What Anything else on the schedule that kind of jumped out at you when you saw it, or, you know, something that you were circling, you know, when it first came out? Well, I think the big attraction of the year is they host the Steelers on Thanksgiving night. Um, and it's the first time the Colts have actually hosted a Thanksgiving game. And so yeah. I think that's the the marquee game, if you want to uh, call it that, of the schedule for the Colts because they do get that primetime holiday game against a good opponent. I think the Steelers have a really good offense and a really good shot to be um, a contender this year. So um, you've obviously got that game. You've got a trip to Lambeau Field. Uh, it'll be the first time it goes there. Um, you've got uh, – like you said, the rematch with the Bears is the 10th year anniversary of the Super Bowl um, where the two teams played, and so you've, you've got that celebration or whatever. Uh, um, you had to bring that up. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> and then you've got, uh, um, you know, obviously one of the most notable parts of the schedule is they don't play the Patriots, and it seems like an every-year affair where that happens, but they won't be playing the Patriots this year. So some of those things that like that stick out on the schedule, um, but the marquee game, the one that, everyone's circling is the Thanksgiving game against the Steelers. 
you know you're right i did not notice that or that you know it's one of those things that you know when you when you look you're you're not necessarily looking for what's not there that's true that this is the the first time that either you know the afc east wasn't part of the rotation or the colts and the and the patriots didn't finish in the same spot so they end up being the same place opponents uh with each other like they ended up being i did not notice that new england wasn't on the schedule that's that's uh that's very true. Yeah, I think the last time they weren't on the schedule was 2013, and they ended up meeting in the playoffs. So they've played every year since, oh, man, uh, 2002, 3, 4, somewhere back there. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it yeah. definitely goes way back. Yeah. It's, it's been a while since they haven't played each other for sure. It was, It's an annual thing, you know, the the, the Brady-Manning Bowls and, and so on and and so forth. So. So now, just on like we're like we're saying, the, the division as a whole, 2015, not very good. You know, it, you could have an argument about which division was worse: the NFC East, the AFC South. You know, basically, you know, sending a team into the playoffs simply because they had to, not necessarily because they deserved to be there. And the Texans kind of proved that point by laying a huge egg against the Chiefs in the wild card round. Like I said before, Houston and, and Houston very active in free agency, did a lot of work in the draft. Same thing for Jacksonville. Tennessee, as we know, had the number one pick and turned that into a boatload of picks and did most of their work in the offseason in the draft. The Colts making their moves and, and did more, more transactionally with their coaching staff than they did so in, in player personnel. What do, you, what do you think the outlook is for the division as a whole going into 2016? I think the division is very rapidly improving um, from being the worst in the league to a, a division that actually could be quite competitive and actually a very solid division. I think they are very much turning around that way. And I think a lot of it is based on obviously the quarterback position because you've got Andrew Luck in Indianapolis. You've got Blake Bortles, who had a very good year last year for the Jaguars. You've got Marcus Mariota in Tennessee. Um, and then, of course, the Texans went out and signed Brock Osweiler, who – um, you know, there's some. It's really uh, still up to see whether that works out or not. But you've got the quarterback right. position taken care of for the four teams, and now it's about building around them. I think the Jaguars have done a phenomenal job of doing that. I, I think they could be a surprise team this year. I think the Texans have um, a very good roster outside the quarterback, and, and so it, it remains to be seen whether Osweiler works out there. But I think their defense is uh, is, is pretty good. And then the the Titans, I think, are still a year or two away. Um, from with everything going right, if they make good moves and stuff in the offseason next year, um, I, th- I think they're still very much on the road there. But I do think they're turning around, and I think they're heading in the right direction. And that's really all you can ask for a team trying to make that turnaround. So I think that the AFC South is very much improving, and I think uh, for the Colts, they should realize that and say, uh, our hold in the division is gone, and realize that talent-wise, they don't really match up against either Jacksonville or Houston, but since they have Andrew Luck, they should still be competitive. Um, so that might keep them competitive this year. It could even win the division for them. But in terms of a long-term approach, they realize they have to build the talent to compete with those teams long-term because I think both the Jaguars and the Texans are looking pretty good and turning around, and then the Titans are even on the road there. So the division is certainly improving very fast. Yeah, it's it's not the uh, it's not a one team division uh, anymore. Where it uh, you know the Colts would basically beat up on everybody in the South and then take their chances 
uh, in the playoffs because it, it wasn't hard for the Colts to get 10, 11, 12 wins because they would get six in the division mm-hmm. uh, every year and then kind of, you know, battle it out with the rest of their uh, – with the rest of their schedule, you know, I'm I'm really intrigued with the AFC South and, and all of the you know work that they've put in. I mean, it's all potential, you know, and, and so on as far as what could happen. But the outlook for each team, I think, looks very good this year, which is why I'm I'm, I'm most interested to see what's going to go down uh, between these four teams. Oh, without a doubt, and I think uh, really the the statement, the turning point, happened last year in a, in a two game stretch where the Jaguars laid 51 points on the Colts, and then the next week the Colts couldn't do anything offensively against the Texans, and basically that game lost the division. I think those two games really turned the entire AFC South around where you realize it's not the Colts division anymore. Now, Wilk wasn't playing in those games, but, but either way, you see that, that the Jaguars are, have a very capable offense, and now they've done stuff to improve their defense, and you see that the Texans are a competitive team. Um, and I think it's in a wake-up call to the Colts and really the rest of the NFL that says the AFC South is no longer just a pushover and they're getting better right now you brought it up briefly much to my chagrin but uh you know as a as a bears fan first and then a colts fan second you can imagine super bowl 41 was a very bittersweet day for me um I mean, nothing quite beat the whole conference championship weekend watching the Bears, you know, dominate New Orleans. And then, of course, you know, Peyton finally beating Brady in the playoffs and making it to the Super Bowl in that amazing uh, AFC uh, title game. You know, how great a day was Super Bowl 41 for you? Oh, it was uh, it was awesome. I mean, that's, that's really the only way to describe it because it was so many years of playoff losses. Finally, you see the Super Bowl. Um, to be honest, the win over the Patriots two weeks earlier was um, probably the best feeling out of all of them, um, to be quite honest, because you finally get past Tom Brady in such a dramatic fashion. I still think right. that's the signature win of the uh, Colts franchise in Indianapolis of Peyton Manning's career. Um, so that was indescribable, or, uh, indescribable feeling. Um, and then the Super Bowl, obviously, was it felt more like a relief than anything else that finally they got there finally they won it um after all those years so it was it was a great night for sure yeah as a bears fan i i I can take away that you know it it was like i said very bittersweet huge fan of peyton manning was so happy to see that he finally got his his ring he finally was able to hoist the lombardi trophy was the mvp of the game and everything but as a bears fan I, i i take the the moral victory in that the bears have the moment of the game with Hester taking the opening kickoff back for a touchdown. I mean, did your heart just absolutely sink <laughs> into your feet when that happened? Uh, you talk about a deflating moment in the game. You're all pumped up for a yeah. Super Bowl and the very first kickoff, they take it all the way back. I mean, oh, my goodness. But, um, yeah, thankfully the uh, the Colts were a little more uh, – they, they just shook it off a little better than, you know, the fans sitting on the couch stunned. Like, this is what we were waiting so long for. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a crazy start to the game. Um, and, and looking back on it, it's kind of funny now that, uh, um, cause Tony Dungeon tells the story all week. They were talking about, we're not going to kick the Hester. We're not going to kick the Hester. And I think it was maybe the night before the game. And, uh, I, I don't remember all the details, but Dungeon's like, we're not going to play scared in the Super Bowl. We're going to actually kick to him. And we, we all know how that happened. First, first play of the game, Hester takes it back. So, uh, that was certainly probably the most memorable part of the game. Uh, in terms of uh, just uh, in his legacy. 
Yeah, it's like I said, as a Bear fan, I, I take away the fact that the one thing that people are always going to remember about Super Bowl Forty One was Hester taking back the opening kick. But you know, it's like we, we you know, we won the we won the battle, but the you know, you guys won the war on that one for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like you remember Hester's kick, and then you remember Peyton Manning hoisting the Lombardi, and a lot of what's in between. Yeah, Colts fans remember, but NFL-wide, that's, that's those are the two images that stand out. Yeah, because I was I was so certain I was absolutely certain the fact that it was raining would work in the Bears' favor, not mm-hmm. in the Colts. Yeah, and that and it yeah. uh, it ended up uh, you know kind of being the other way around. The Bears are the ones that couldn't hang on to the <laughs> ball and you know slipping and falling and and so on and so forth. So it ended up being just a mess for us. Yeah, it, it, I think that speaks to uh, just the preparation of Peyton too, because he worked all week preparing for the rain. And um, I mean, the Colts didn't play a entirely clean game that game either they turned it over some too so um yeah yeah and i mean and but they they won that super bowl in the playoffs on defense so that kind of that that helps that their defense was actually playing well then so were you pulling for peyton last year with the broncos were you were you were you were you temporarily a bronco fan hoping to see peyton go out on the go out on on a win like that well especially once the Colts didn't make the playoffs i mean it was totally all for peyton and you know, there's always going to be a special place in Colts fans' hearts for Peyton Manning and just all he did for the franchise and uh, all the, the memories. And so it, it's really hard to root against him, um, especially, you know, any time he wasn't playing the Colts, you're always pulling for him. Um, and then when he plays right. the Colts, you know, you're like, yeah, I, I'd like to see him do okay, but uh, Colts win. So um, absolutely last year it was all for Peyton playoffs, and it was thrilled to see him get that uh, second Super Bowl. So that game where Peyton came into town where he was needing, you know, the one win to, to, to beat Brett Favre's record uh, last year, and that, you know, even though that's the game that, that luck went down, Peyton and the Broncos lose that game and doesn't get his record. And, you know, I think, like, the, it was the next week against the Chiefs that he had that disastrous mm-hmm. game and got benched and, uh, and so on. So he actually had to wait until, like, the Super Bowl mm-hmm. to get his next, like, start and win, you know, to finally – break that record but um you know kind of had to be like one of those days where like yeah we're rooting for the Colts but it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if Peyton were to set that record here in Indianapolis yeah and I think there's a couple other records riding on that game too and you know it's like it would be great to see him uh set those things in Indy in front of the the home crowd and and all that I mean that would have been uh that would have been cool to see him set the records where he um had so much success but uh it wound up that he didn't play overly well, and Lux played incredible. And, and it's, it's kind of surprising, actually, how well the Colts played against the Peyton Manning Broncos. They won three out of four matchups against them, and uh, it seemed like the Broncos rolled over everyone else, and the Colts um, obviously didn't have as much success as Denver did in the past four years. But for whatever reason, when Peyton was playing the Colts, the Colts kind of uh, always showed up and always played well and won three out of four. You know, I think, Josh, that's going to do it for us. Um, you know, it was really great having you. Uh, on the show uh look forward to having you on if we can swing it to the because i always have my guests back on the preview show the week of the the bears and the uh the colts playing in uh indianapolis this year absolutely we'd love to do that all right so it's um it's stampedeblue.com correct correct and where can we find you on twitter you can find me on twitter at josh wilson sb uh for josh wilson stampede blue obviously um so you can follow me there and uh, have a lot more insight there, um, and then on the site as well. Do you guys have a podcast for Stampede Blue or no? Uh, we will probably have one this year. We used to have one, and then uh, 
we took a year or two off, and we're probably going to be bringing it back this year. Okay, great. So look forward to that. Look forward to having you back on the show. And the other 16 weeks of the season, I wish the Colts all the best. But that uh, that one week when the Bears come to town, I hope you guys crash and burn and we come out ahead. That's absolutely reasonable. Can't ask for anything else. (laughs) (laughs) Josh Wilson from Stampede Blue talking about the Colts going into 2016. Want to thank our guest Josh Wilson once again for being on the show and helping us out with the uh, Indianapolis Colts preview for 2016. Um, you know, as you've heard me mention with all three shows so far, and I will once again uh, when I talk to Brett Coleman uh, for the Texans uh, later this week that uh, you know this division really is one of those. You know, if if I had to lay out like my top storylines into 2016, it. You know, one of the top storylines for me would be this division in general. You know, the Texans, the Titans, uh, the Jaguars and the Colts. You know, it was it was a joke of a division last year. A lot of work needed to be done in all four teams. Uh, You know, as you heard me mention with with Josh, that the, the Texans, the Jags and the Titans really went to work on on, you know, making improvements and adding players and so on and so forth. The Colts. You know, for lack of a better term, kind of resting on their laurels, getting a healthy team back together, working through the draft uh, and so on, and rebuilding their coaching staff. As as you heard Josh and I talk about, you know, Pagano pretty much, you know, a big surprise that he stayed, but then basically no one else did along with him. So I mean, it's like you can stay, but everybody's got to go. Uh, is kind of what the what the approach appeared to be, and uh, you know. He stuck around and has basically an entirely brand new staff behind him. We'll see how that works out uh, for the Colts. But, uh, you know, how this this division shakes out really is going to be one of those things you want to keep your eye on uh, in 2016. And how serious a contender will the AFC South representative be in the playoffs this year as opposed to kind of a placeholder is, is all they were last year, simply going to the playoffs simply because somebody in the division had to. Uh, last year and and see how that all works out uh, for the South will the Titans and the Jags make the strides that their that their moves and their transactions and stuff you know hope that they will be can the Colts reclaim their glory will the Texans be able to maintain what they started last year by winning the division finally winning a game in Indianapolis and so on so you know we'll, we'll we'll have to wait and see so come back in in a, in a few more days when we wrap up the afc south once and for all with the first place finisher we we managed to be able to do it according to plan we had the titans who finished last then we had the third place finisher in jacksonville indy was the second place finisher this year or last year i should say and going into this season the defending afc south champion houston texans are up next as we wrap up the AFC South and then we move on to the NFC East. Got a decent collection of people that we're going to be talking with about the NFC East. And uh, then we move on to the NFC North and wrap up with our beloved Chicago Bears. So we got five down, nine more to go. So come back in a few days. We have Brett Coleman from SB Nation to talk about the Texas. The te- the, the, wow. 
the Houston Texans. Wow, did I blow, did I blow that? Wow, the talk about the Houston Texans next time uh, to wrap up our fourth and final part of the AFC South preview. So until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Chicago Bears Review. cars like these on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader